Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. My name is Janus, and joining me in our tiny makeshift studio this time is a man who is familiar to all Global Tea Hut members, but just to give a quick intro, he's the longest serving student here in Taiwan in our little tea hut, and also manages the whole Global Tea Hut office. If you've ever sent us an email, for example, then chances are that you have been in contact with our guest today. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Shansu. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. The March 2020 issue of Global Tea Hut is all about tea utensils and uh, tea scoops and sticks this time. So I wanted to have you, Shan, over to talk a little bit about a creative hobby, because I know that you have one. You um, work on wood and bamboo, and uh, you carve tea utensils. So um, actually, before we jump in, um, why don't you give us a little overview? Because carving tea scoops out of bamboo and making gourd ladles doesn't really strike me as something popular in your native Canada. So maybe you can give us a quick overview of your journey with making these items and uh, what was the initial spark that made you want to do it and how you have progressed over the years. Yeah, sure. It's definitely, uh, there's not much bamboo in Canada. Um, so growing up there, I didn't really have that hobby or that connection to working with bamboo and, and ladles and scoops and sticks and stuff like that. Um, but I do remember very vividly my uh, woodworking shop class way back in high school. And um, I also remember the the teacher at the time because he had a really, really high-pitched, loud voice, which was great because he could yell at us from across the room and get our attention, um, which was important because there was a bunch of, you know, teenagers working with power tools and stuff. And that was just the first kind of spark for me. Actually, at that time, I'd always dreamed of being uh, a cabinet maker, which sounds kind of strange. And I got a lot of strange looks when I told adults that at the time. Um, but it was just one of those natural things where I liked working with wood and raw materials and building things that are like practical um, and also decorative. And um, I liked working with the the tools and, and, and the fine cuts and, you know, measuring lines and working up to that. And there's just something there that that always sparked my interest from a young age. And uh, but it never really developed into much beyond that because um, I went down a different path in high school and university. Um, a much more scientific path. But then after that, I, I got out into the world and did some traveling and working and uh, found myself mainly in, in tropical and subtropical countries like Costa Rica, 
uh, like Hawaii and then Taiwan. And so there I was much more exposed to uh, bamboo again, especially. And I loved just carving with that and working with it in any way kind of possible because I was so interested in it as a raw material. It was so interesting. It had so many unique qualities. Um, and then at that time, that's when I also got interested in tea and introduced to tea. And so those two more or less came together at the same time and slowly, slowly, slowly developed from there. It wasn't really anything much until now when I've had more um, time and resources to actually make useful items for tea. Mm. So when would you say you started uh, working on tea utensils? Do you remember the first item you made? Yeah, strangely, it was in Costa Rica. Um, a lot of my stories go back to Costa Rica. It was a big change in my life because I'd finished university and um, something fell through and I decided not to continue on with my master's. So I ended up going to Costa Rica and uh, and I did like tea at that time for a number of reasons, but that's a different story. And there I had access. I was working on a farm, essentially, and there was lots of bamboo. There was lots of tools um, and I had time. And so I just started whittling and, and playing and um, and working with bamboo. And I did. I made my very first scoops there and I made quite a few of them. And I ended up giving them all away as gifts to like family and friends and uh, the host of the farm who um, who hosted me. So it kind of started there, which is funny. And uh, that was that was really the spark yeah, in Costa Rica, strangely enough. And when you came to the tea sage hut, do you, did you continue that or was there like a pause? It was very on and off. I didn't do anything seriously. Um, I would have liked to, but um, I didn't create a lot of time or space for myself to have such a hobby. And uh, so it was just on and off. I might have made like a single utensil here or there, a scoop or a stick, um, especially around people's uh, birthdays or the holidays when I could give them away as gifts. I was always more motivated to do it. But it wasn't like a part of my routine, and it certainly wasn't something I was offering on a regular basis to people. Mm. Uh, so Wuda has talked about um, the importance of play, uh, meaning uh, having a hobby that either supports your practice, whether it be tea or meditation or yoga or martial arts or whatever your practice is, or at least it doesn't detract from it. Uh, like if you want to live a life of tea, but your hobby is going to pop crawls and getting hammered on the weekends, then that's obviously at odds with uh, your practice and harmful to it. So um, what are your thoughts on um, having this play in your life? And would you say that, uh, you know, making tea utensils is, is that for you? Yes, it's, it's certainly that for me. And um, I do remember when Wood was teaching about that concept of incorporating play into your overall practice because of course the core the core components of your practice um, are are revolved around you know the core activities. It depends on what your practice is. For example, it might be meditation and qigong, and and um, it might be just tea ceremony, among other things. And then there's exercise, and there's all these different activities in which are necessary to maintain a, a really healthy, balanced life um, to help us navigate the challenges that are inevitably coming. Um, and we can take those. Uh, both too seriously and, and not seriously enough at times and waver between them. And so it's good to have some sort of uh, hobby or play as Wuda calls it. And that really struck me because I didn't really have something like that. Um, but I would dabble in things here. I'd start little hobbies and, and get really interested in something and it would kind of fade off and it never, never retracted from my core practice. 
Um, I wouldn't say it supplemented it too much until really I started doing more of this um, woodworking, crafting, you know, DIY hobbyist kind of stuff. And and now I'm starting to realize the importance of it because I can be focused and serious with the core components of my practice, like meditation and tea, and then I can keep balanced and uh, keep perspective when I go out and, and play and do a little woodworking and carve something here and there. And it supports my practice because obviously I'm making um, tools for tea. I'm not just making like random, you know, kitchen furniture or something. So it's nice to have a hobby um, that stems from your core practice because I already know what I'm going to be making. It's going to be tea utensils. It's not going to be something totally random. So I feel lucky because even though this hobby came much later in my life, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it when I finally made time and space for it. So one thing that I'm really curious about is uh, you're pretty busy with running the Global Tea Hut office on a daily basis. Where do you find the time to, uh, to engage in this play, in this hobby? Yeah, that's, that's always a, a question and um, always a problem that I, I have trouble navigating. And, but that is really a question. You just have to ask yourself, where do I find the time to do this? And it's not going to come out of nowhere and it's not going to come without any effort. What it really comes down to is you just making the choice to create time and space for it in your schedule. And when you do that and incorporate it um, realistically and then maintain contact with it, consistently like daily it just slowly slowly builds and uh, becomes part of your routine and, and that's easier said than done because um, I often vacillate when I do that and waver and I have uh, like on on days or off days or on weeks or off weeks and that doesn't uh, help to build like a really healthy long consistent hobby or practice and so what it comes down to what it always comes down to is no matter what you want to invite into your life whether it's yoga or whether it's exercise or whether it's a healthy diet or proper sleep or woodworking or qigong or crafting is you just have to create time and space for it and if it's meaningful to you then you will do that and um, that's 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 why buddha says for example the primary meditation is the creation of time and space for meditation because if you don't do that you're never going to meditate consistently and consistency is super important and so too i finally just had to buckle down think about what was important to me and why look for help from others and then create time and space to have to do some some woodworking or crafting and uh, now I've got a bit of routine where I can get to it every day for an hour or two um, I spent a lot of time creating the space to do the the hobby because then I'm really inspired to go there just like you know we've been taught to create spaces for tea so that we're reminded on a daily basis to make tea just like we've been trained to create meditative spaces so on a daily basis, we're reminded to go and meditate. And so too, I had to spend a lot of time creating these, uh, a couple now crafting DIY hobbyist spaces, and I'm really motivated to go there. And uh, so I do what I can to find the time to get there because I want to, and it's important to me. And once I finally realized that, um, built it into my schedule and uh, worked at it really hard in the beginning, now it's a lot easier just to take a break from my work, which is a very, very um, heavy workload and go and do this work knowing that I love doing it and it's actually going to be of benefit to all my other work because it gives me a chance to have a break to do something I'm, I'm really interested in to do work where I'm not looking at the clock and, and racing against some sort of time time limit so uh, what it really comes down to is, is just knowing what you want to do and then creating the time and space for it and sticking to that consistently again it's easier said than done but it must be done 
So what does that look like on a practical level? Do you pencil the time in into your schedule or uh, how do you how do you do it? Um, for certain parts of my day, I've definitely penciled in uh, time for for work, for exercise, for breaks. And to a degree, I've, I have penciled in on a very simple to do list um, time for getting this work done. Um, not so much because um, I want to be a little more free and flexible with it. But um, most of the time it's happening like later in the afternoons, early evenings. That's when I feel like I've completed most of my necessary like work. And, and, and uh, I like working at that time as well. And kind of winding down, that, that winding down process is important. And actually doing this hobby for me is more of a winding down. So um, I don't pencil it in too much. I'm not super rigid about it. That, that might be necessary for some people. And I've definitely benefited from doing that in the past. But I'm not too rigorous with this. I'm definitely more flexible and I've found myself working on some projects super early in the morning and super late at night. And uh, I try and listen more to uh, that inspiration that can call and then you really want to work on it at a time. I think it's important to listen to that, um, to have both regularity and then an open ear to the times when that inspiration comes. Because you got to jump on that because creative ideas come there and, and your, 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 your um, attitude shifts there and you're motivated in a, a way you're not usually motivated. So kind of have to jump on those opportunities, especially if they come far and few between. Mm. Especially in the beginning, did you find it uh, difficult to, uh, you know, when something came up and you couldn't get to your uh, hobby? Well, if I've got my priorities straight, it was sometimes just too easy to let go of my hobby um, because I didn't prioritize it or it wasn't, you know, supporting the Global Tea Hut or Light Meets Life or the center. It was more of like a personal practice so I even would struggle with like just feeling guilty from doing that kind of work. That's my own personal problem. Um, there should be no guilt if you do take personal time like that, um, especially if you've got your other stuff uh, organized. And in fact, that's really, really healthy to do that for yourself. So I could definitely like drop them very quickly. And actually, one of the things that really helped to establish the routine in my life, um, which I'm very grateful for Wuda in particular, is that it became one of the, one of the things I'm working on now. We decided to make a, a product for Light Meets Life, which was the gourd ladle, and all of a sudden I had a, a product that was being sold to people around the world, and uh, so I had to show up in a very different way. It became something more than just a hobby. Um, I, I wouldn't call it. It's obviously not a job or a career, but um, I had to think about and uh, I had to think about the ethics of it because there's money involved and mm. people are buying it, and it had to be shipped. And I brought all these other interesting ideas to mind that I never had to think about before when it was just a hobby and I was much more motivated because I couldn't just make a, a half-assed project or um, I couldn't just let it go and just put it off for a couple months because if people were buying it or it was going to go on the website or we needed pictures for the magazine or whatever I really had to uh, produce results so Wuda gave me this pressure by saying okay look we're going to sell these things and that pressure you know really kicked me into gear and uh, set things straight. So I was really grateful for that because uh, without that, I didn't have the discipline at that time to be so um, rigorous with it as I am now because we're actually making things for the magazine or to support Light Meets Life, which has um, been so interesting and fun because it's just changed the way I've uh, thought about working on all these tea utensils. So would you say that uh, how you view your relationship now to your hobby is a little different? It's not just play anymore it's it's become something else or do you have 
like aspects and projects that you view as purely like play and you know fun and then uh, another side of it that's more like you know for support of light means life and that's that's something separate uh, in your is it is it all still like one kind of fun hobby thing with a little bit of more of a like um, you know responsibility no it's it's certainly gonna remain um a, a playful kind of hobby for me because i have so many other responsibilities and i know what like my core practices are and where i should allocate most of my time so i definitely want to keep this as play i wouldn't mind like doing it more and more but um i remember would have said you know part of incorporating play in, into your schedule is don't let it detract from your core practices don't get like too heavily invested in it um and and make sure it does you know supplement what you're doing so i'm very confident that when i'm doing supplements my tea practice because i'm making um, tea items and scoops and ladles and sticks and stuff so that's great um, and I'm just careful to keep it in balance so it doesn't get out of hand because it's it's easy to kind of go down these rabbit holes nowadays where you can learn about these different hobbies especially from YouTube videos and books and there's so many resources and the world is, is so accessible um, and so it's kind of easy to get caught going down rabbit holes and researching and learning and watching videos and then finding time to actually do it and accumulating more tools to you know make better better tools um collecting more resources to create finer better work and uh, so i do have to be careful with that and, and luckily you know since we're um we have a daily tea practice including uh, meditation and tea ceremony among other things um, it's easy to kind of keep things in check and, and navigate that skillfully so i don't want it to become more than just a hobby at this point because um, it's not my woodworking, for example, isn't my way of life. You know, I already know what my way of life is and it's, it's tea and other people may have woodworking as their way of life and, and that's great, but it's, it's not for me. It's more of that hobby. So it will remain as that playful part of my, my, uh, my path. So you mentioned learning and, uh, how it's sometimes like a rabbit hole that you can go down and, and get lost and, uh. I'm curious about that too. So how do you learn? Have you had any teachers or uh, are you just uh, self-taught? Um, yeah, yes and no, because I haven't like done the traditional, you know, apprenticeship under a teacher in any sort of woodworking or crafting beyond my days back in uh, high school. So I would really, you know, love to do something like that. Not, not really now. I wouldn't, I don't want to say I would love to do that now. That would be kind of ideal in my mind because I grew up in a time when like apprenticing was a common thing to do to learn a trade. Um, and so it makes sense that working one-on-one -on -one with someone who's done it for many, many years is a, really a great way to learn and they can help correct your mistakes as you go along and be there right side by side, teaching you tricks of the trade as it were. But I never really had a chance to do that. And so a lot of my learning has come from, um, yeah, YouTube videos I would say is a big one, but at the same time, there's not many YouTube videos out there that cover like making gourd ladles, for example. Um, <laughs> there are YouTube videos for things that I never imagined there would be. It's really covering a huge spectrum and it's getting wider and wider every day. But um, for like wrapping kettle handles or weaving, attaching a, a bamboo handle to a, a gourd head is, is not on YouTube. You know, there's not teachers, there's not endless videos. And so what I end up doing with YouTube is like searching for related content and then trying to apply it to what I want to do and a lot of times that also requires searching in different languages because English probably has the most in, uh, videos available but um, if you can search in another language whether it's Spanish Chinese or Japanese all of which I've tried 
you'll find videos and you can't always understand them, but you can follow along. That's one of the, the great aspects of it. And uh, so I've accumulated like a lot of different videos that are not directly related to what I'm doing, but they're indirectly related. And I'll use those as best I can. I even sit in front of YouTube videos sometimes in a different language and I'll, I'll hold my iPhone in front of the computer screen and get it to translate the like written language that's coming up because there's often subtitles. So I have mm. to pause and then translate and then play and pause <laughs> and translate and picture here, picture. It's really funny, but um, so I've done that a lot with like Kintsugi or handle wraps or, um, you know, carving whisks for matcha or, or whisk tea or something like that. So really, really interesting. Another thing that I do is I, I copy the works of great artists. So I like to look at what I like to look at really good examples of something that I would buy or in a shop or that I have and really do my best to copy it. And it's a really rudimentary example because obviously these items are made by, you know, artists and masters and people with a lot of experience. But by copying them, you learn that there's a lot more that goes on um, than meets the eye. Because some of these like sticks look really simple and you think, well, I could make that no problem. But when you actually try and copy it and learn about all the tiny little details that must have gone into it and you fail here and you you don't know how to do the next step and you realize that in that simplicity, there's, you know, years and years of experience, if not more. Um, but it's a really excellent way to to learn and get excited and, and um, often like different creative ideas branch off of that. So I like to copy uh, other existing scoops, sticks, gourds, tea utensils out there so that I can learn and then hopefully adapt it to make something more unique. So that's, yeah. And then just my other, my other advice, which I think I wrote in the magazine is, you know, with, without a teacher, without like a, a direct teacher, a one-on-one -on -one teacher, you just really have to like get your hands into it and get started. Um, because if you don't, it's too easy to just watch videos and read books and take notes and never actually produce anything. And when you actually sit down and, and invest your time and your resources and make something, that inspires you to kind of go on and do it again and again and again. And it also teaches you to be, you know, self-disciplined and learn yourself. And being um, self-learned in, in this day and age is really, really important. Um, and it's actually very easy, again, with so many resources around the world and the way the world is so accessible. So um, you just really got to get started. It's just as easy as that. And get your hands dirty, um, dive in head first and, and start paddling, you know. Because that's, that's really the way you're going to start learning. And that's really what's going to inspire you to keep going, uh, you know, so far in my experience. And, and when you do all these things, what you're actually doing as a student is you're demonstrating to a potential teacher or a potential teaching resource that you're ready, right? And there's a saying in, in this tradition that the teacher arrives when the student is ready. And so by doing all these things in advance, before you actually find a teacher, you are, you are building the skills to demonstrate to a potential teacher that, hey, I am ready. I've been doing stuff on my own and watching videos and doing extra homework. And I made these really rudimentary things. And, uh, you know, you, you demonstrate that you're excited and inspired. And teachers want dedicated, inspired students. They don't have to go out and force students to learn these things. Mm. That, that's, not, that's not the way you learn. Um, not, not at least... Um, learn something really well or to, to mastery or, or anything like that. So again, I'm not really looking to turn this hobby into a career or anything that like invites a teacher into my life that becomes a big thing. But these are definitely some of the steps necessary for people who are establishing skill sets and learning a new skill. If they are looking for a teacher, you got to like demonstrate that um, if a teacher isn't just readily available.
And for certain unique things like making tea scoops, you know, they're not, depending on where you are. And in Asia, they would be for sure. But then again, you have to speak the language, whether that's Japanese or Chinese or, or whatever. So uh, yeah, there's just so many, there's so many resources and opportunities to learn. And if you're really into your hobby and you really like it, you'll, you'll find them and they'll find you and you'll meet halfway and go from there. I like how you mentioned also that you just got to start because it's, it's way too easy to just keep watching YouTube videos. I've, uh, I've noticed that in my own uh, work, is, which is also, uh, you know, you could say kind of a hobby for me is uh, photography and, and filmmaking as well. And there's a ton of content on YouTube and it's so easy to just like keep watching and, and thinking that if I watch these endless videos I'll be so good and I'll, the, my videos and, and photography will, will just automatically like get to a next level but then you go out and do it and you realize that you actually learn far more by doing something and also what that does is, is it stimulates some questions um, and what you do is you find out that there are certain things that you don't know how to do which you didn't even know that existed before and then uh, you can go and, and do some more and better and focused research. Yes, yes, certainly. Those videos can be dangerous also because there's always more to learn. And you, you have the feeling of like, oh, I, I have to learn this before I can start. And oh, I'd better learn this before I can start. And you just kind of keep playing that. You, you get caught in that snowball effect. And you feel like you keep having to learn things before you can actually start. And uh, we play that game with ourselves until the day comes when you know you finally do start and realize how important that is and you break through that that uh, habit that you were caught in and uh you just have to get started yeah like you said hmm. that's right so if you're listening to this and there is a hobby that you've been meaning to take up go and do it that's our advice yeah okay. <laughs> um so where do your ideas come from uh, for teaware in particular, uh, or tea utensils, like do you sketch them out, or do you just like start working on something with a, a vague idea in mind, or where where did the ideas come from? Yeah, I, um, it's actually pretty easy. You know, again, I'm lucky because I've already um, ha had the opportunity and the privilege to practice a, a way of tea for for a handful of years now, and so my ideas come from my tea practice. You know, when I'm making tea every day, when I'm looking around shops and looking at teaware um you know i'm just always focused on tea everything's going through that tea lens and so i think oh i, I could make that or i want to make that or that thing's beautiful and it's i would love to try and attempt to to make something like that and so my ideas just come from uh, a daily tea practice it's really it's really simple i mean there are those moments uh, of like um extreme creativity that come but they're they're too far and few between to rely on all the time and so it has that's why there has to be this like daily exposure to that like core part of your practice that can give you all sorts of ideas to to work on so uh, i'm never like short of ideas i'm always i feel like i'm short of time to get started on those ideas which is another problem but um there's definitely like those eureka moments and there's times when i just relax and and try and let things be and sometimes ideas come um, I'm not trying to force them but it's interesting when they do um, but for the most part it's just as part of my daily practice I see and use utensils that I think would be great for other people to use myself to use and um, I want to make those so yeah it's quite easy actually I'm lucky do you sometimes just find something and look at it and go like oh this would make a great scoop or, or this piece of wood would be you know, excellent for a lid rest or something. 
Yeah, it's funny. Um, more more so as I'm like directly working with materials, like when I'm cutting into bamboo or shaping a, a gourd ladle or working with a handle. Um, sometimes I'll just get an idea, like in those moments when I'm directly working with it. Or sometimes I accident, I make a mistake and I, I place something down in such a way that makes me realize, oh, it'd be you know better to do it like this. And um, the more and more I make things, the more I, you make all these mistakes and you come up uh, with all these challenges. And then the only way you're going to get through those challenges is if, if you work with them and you have to be, kind of be creative and you have to think about, you know, how it's used and you have to consider ergonomics and, and, and design and simplicity. Um, and so I've definitely run into some like serious challenges when making some of these items and I don't know right away how to get through them. And I have to really sit down and think about it and kind of grind. Uh, but I like that grind. It's, it's actually really exciting because I know there's something that can be done, right? And knowing that is, is really important. That, that definitely aids in getting over the challenge and creating something new. And then, and then you learn. And you don't like, you know, for example, I've made a, quite a handful of mistakes when I'm working on these gourd ladles. And uh, it's been really frustrating at times because I'll invest hours and hours and hours into one. And then I make a mistake and it's completely useless. And then I realize relatively quickly that I'm actually glad I made that mistake because now I can prevent myself from doing it on all these other ones that are also at the same stage because I usually work on more than one at a time. And so I'm grateful for that mistake. There's a, there's a period of like anger and frustration. And then if I'm mindful and breathe, I can very quickly turn that into a lesson learned and not make that mistake again and be very grateful that I made the mistake when I did and it didn't happen at like a later stage. Um, so I've run into that a lot and I learn how to do all sorts of different things. So again, that's why it's so important just to get started because that's where most of my like real hands-on learning experience comes from that I would feel comfortable sharing with other people as opposed to just watching a video and then repeating or, or kind of parroting what, what I heard. Mm. Uh, you wrote in, in your article uh, about listening to the raw material and uh, bringing out what's already there, sort of like, uh, and also preserving the, the natural essence. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, uh, simplicity is a principle that comes up in, in the world of tea a lot. And um, I remember I, there was a story when I was um, in Inga, which is a famous kind of ceramics town in Taiwan. And we were shopping and I was with Wuda. And there was this really interesting looking frog uh, that was carved out of a bamboo root. And um, Wuda kind of asked me and another student, you know, said, what's the the like distinguishing feature of, of that frog? Because he noticed something in it. He noticed us kind of looking at it. And so he posed that question and it wasn't me, it was this other student, I forget who it was because it was so many years ago, but they said, you know, it looks uh, like very natural, like it just kind of came out of the root. And would have said, you know, that's ex that's exactly it. Like the artist, instead of like, instead of forcing the frog out of a, a random piece of root or wood or whatever the raw material was, kind of looked at it, read into it and realized what was already there and then just chiseled or chipped or carved away the bare essentials to release the essence of what it was. And in this case, it was a frog with a big belly and, you know, a mouth and these legs and it was squatting and grounded and earthy. And that was a really amazing lesson that um, I've also seen with, um, you know, the great uh, Gong Fu teapot master, Master Zhou, who we featured in Global Tea Hut before. And watching him make a teapot is always one of the most amazing things I've ever seen because he's so calm and composed, but working so fast with all these amazing tools and doing so much fine detailed work. 
And I remember commenting how amazing I think it is that he creates this these teapots out of clay. And, and the Buddha kind of corrected me again in that moment and said, you know, he's uh, not he's not creating it out of clay. He's 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 connecting to the clay and bringing he's allowing the teapot to come through the clay and it's kind of using his skills. So Master Zhou is very deeply connected to the ore and, and the clay and the craft and the tradition to the point where it comes through him. And it's not him like forcing a teapot out of clay. It's it's him allowing the teapots to come out of clay because he's really listening to that raw material and seeing what it really wants to make. You want to you want to facilitate what that raw material wants to make. And in order to facilitate that, you have to listen carefully. In order to listen carefully and hear something, you have to be like deeply connected and dedicated and spend a lot of time. And so I wouldn't say I'm there yet with a lot of raw materials that I'm working with, but that's part of the learning curve and making mistakes and trying things. And you learn to listen to it and go, oh, well, it obviously wants to be made like this or worked with in this way. So I'm going to adapt my um, tools or, or craft or steps to facilitate that because that's what this thing wants to be made into. And so then there's the, there's a difference of between you just like forcing something or creating something and then the creation coming through you. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an artist at the point where our, you know, masterpieces are coming through me. I'm just a very, very beginner DIY hobbyist, but I know that's what great masters are doing. They're so connected that they're letting the art flow through them. They're not just it's not just them creating it. That separation isn't there. There's a, a joining between them and the artistry and the tradition and the the movements and the procedure and the method. And that's when that's where real masterpieces come through. They don't come through an individual. They come through an individual who has opened themselves up to that art and allowed it to flow through them. Mm. Have you had any experiences with that feeling that uh, you were able to bring something out that was already there? Uh, I would like to say I have, but, you know, the best I could say right now is oftentimes when I'm doing this kind of work, I, I do lose track of time, for example. Uh -huh. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, you know, as they say in sports, you're kind of in that moment. And so I love that, that feeling because my mind is at ease and it's focused and I'm just working with those raw materials. Uh, I wouldn't say I've had that kind of like eureka, uh, ingenious moment where the art is coming through me. And then that's okay. I'm comfortable not being there yet, uh, or or I'm I'm not trying to like strive to get there. Um, if that comes, it comes, and that's great. But um, I think that's way down the line, and and that's okay because it's exciting to see that off in the distance and know that that's possible, and and then just get back to work and work with where you're at. Do you feel it's like uh, what Andre says in his article in the T utensil issue? that you feel as if you're connected to the piece that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that um, really sparked my interest in working with wood when I was younger. I imagine it's like that for many people who are interested in woodworking, but that like that raw texture of the grain or the sandpaper or the tools or the sharpness of the chisel um, or the precision of the drill as you're, you know, working on whatever material. There's just something that I like that I can't really explain about handling raw materials like wood, like bamboo, like gourd ladles, like rattan or cane, uh, like hemp string. It just has that tangible feeling and, and they're all natural materials. And so I'm reminded that I'm also natural when I'm in contact with them. So I don't, I know not everyone feels that way which is fine. That's just the way I feel. And that's one of the reasons why I really, you know, lean into this hobby 
everyone has their own kind of hobby and, and interest and uh, unknown reasons for that interest, which is great. That mystery is wonderful. But uh, yes, that feeling of like raw connection to me is is awesome as opposed to like an intellectual connection or a philosophical connection, which I imagine would be really strong for some people. But for me, it's that like hands-on, you know, working with materials, helping to shape them, feeling how they change, looking at like different materials coming together and creating something totally new. I just kind of love that, which is why it's this kind of playful hobby for me. Would you say that uh, working on a new project is the favorite part of uh, of this hobby of yours, or is it more the coming up with uh, new ideas or the feeling of accomplishment that comes from uh, finishing a piece? Actually, actually, I would say none of those options for me, <laughs> because I'm kind of, a, um, a, well, all humans are creatures of habit, but I definitely, um, I like I like repetition. And so I love, I love creativity, of course. I like everything you, you said. But what I found myself really enjoying right now is the, the repetition of some of these ladles because as I work on each one, each one's totally different and you have to work with it in a different way. But the steps are very similar. And as I go through step by step, I love this like refining process because in the beginning, you know, it was taking me, you know, 20 days to finish a set of these ladles. You know, I can now reduce down to 15 days or 10 days. Not that I'm trying to speed it up absolutely not but because i'm refining certain steps or just learning how to mitigate certain mistakes and i love that because it's getting to this point where it's flowing a lot more whereas in the beginning it was just clunky clunky step after step mistake after mistake and it felt um it didn't feel it didn't feel bad it just required a lot more um raw effort to like break through all those mistakes in the beginning and now it's more fluid and flowing and, and there's so much joy in that because I can produce them with more ease and more relaxation that comes through in the final product I believe and makes a, a better product which I want for 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 myself to use for tea people to use uh, for tea to use and uh, so it's been that repetition right now because I'm in this very like repetitive stage of having to make things on a slightly larger scale um, you know we're talking like tens or dozens here I love that repetitive process and the refining that comes with that. Though, uh, like you were saying before, it's, there's also the creative aspect where like a spark comes and I want to build that. Or then there's the finished product where I just love to sit back and kind of look at it and know that it's going to be in the hands of another tea person, perhaps, you know, decades from now, hundreds of years from now. In fact, one of the funny things I've thought about myself is I've often looked at like teaware, like, you know, kettles especially and handle wraps especially. And I wonder who the heck that person was who wrapped that kettle handle. And it, that could have been a year ago. It could have been some of them are decades ago. Some of them could have been a hundred years ago. And I'm just, I don't know. That's always been a funny, curious thing for me. Like who built that? Who made that? How did they learn? And uh, now I, I kind of have the feeling it was just, you know, another, it was just another person. You know, I, I'm not anyone special, but I can make a handle wrap and someone might use it a hundred years from now and wonder who did it. It definitely was no one special. It was just someone who did it and they loved doing that. And so I know those people in the past were also doing that. And it's kind of cool. It makes me feel very connected to um, to those people, even though I have no idea who they are. But we just share that simple connection through the tradition of tea. So yeah, that was always been a funny, a funny thing for me growing up is looking at something and wondering like who the heck made that and how. And it could have been something super random. 
you know, whether it was like a toothpick or uh, like I said, a kettle handle wrap or, you know, that piece of wood on the side handle teapot. Like, where did that come from and how did they find that and what did they cut it with and how did they shape it and attach it? And I just find myself naturally curious about that stuff. And so working on it and actually feeling myself complete that curiosity for myself is, is very rewarding as well. Okay. Uh, so to wrap it up for this time, do you have any suggestions or tips for anybody who's thinking about st starting a new hobby? Maybe they've been thinking about some sort of creative thing that they would love to take up, but just haven't taken the, the first step yet or are in the process of researching things, but just, you know, haven't started yet. Yeah, I would say practically the, the most important thing, it's very easy, is the creation of time and space for that activity. So, you know, I'll just relate this back to me very quickly. Since I knew I wanted to be doing this, this crafting hobby, one of the first things I did was I put a table up and literally I put up my table in the kitchen. So you don't need a fancy woodworking shop or a yoga studio or a, a tea house. You just need a little piece of space where you can set up something physical and tangible to create that space. That's maybe a meditation cushion if you want to do meditation, a yoga mat if you want to do yoga. For me, it was a table. It was really, literally one of the old tables I used to teach kids at uh, when I was teaching English back in Taiwan. And that became my woodworking bench, essentially. There's a very, very uh, rudimentary woodworking bench. And then from there, I started to collect, collect items. So I had the space and I was excited. And there was a table where I could like sit down and actually look at something and work on it. And then I had to create the time. So, okay, you know, if you want to write that into your schedule on, on, your, on your notepad or your calendar, then great. But create a time that you go to every day because you, you need to build that consistency, especially in the beginning until it becomes a natural part of your cycle. Um, and, and, you know, nowadays as the world is facing these, um, these challenging times with the, the COVID virus and people are physically dis distancing themselves, you might have a little more time to uh, actually sit down, create some space for whatever it is you want to start um, and fit, set something down physically. That's, that's so important. It'll really, it'll really ignite that flame and get it burning and then create the time for it and then commit yourself to that, you know, um, dedicate yourself to that. Be really, really disciplined in the beginning and establish that habit. And then from there, it'll just take care of itself. But it does require that like initial effort. And the most important thing practically is the creation of time and space. Because if you don't have the time for it, it's never going to uh, last. And if you don't have the space for it, you're just simply not going to do it, especially not consistently. So that's, in, in my experience, um, the most important thing to inviting any kind of new practice into your life. All right. Thank you very much for joining me, Shan. One thing that I'll mention is uh, we do have plans to make a little video about the cord ladle making as well. So be sure to look out for that on our YouTube channel. Awesome. Yeah, thanks again for everyone who listened and for having me again on the, the podcast. I had a great time. Thank you for listening. I hope to meet you again in the next episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then please help us reach more people by sharing this episode with friends and family. Your likes, comments and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another direct way to support this project 
is to sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea, from brewing and processing techniques to history, lore, spirituality, and even the community aspect. It comes with a beautiful, sustainably produced tea every month, and to subscribe, go to globalteahut.org. If you're looking for more linear information on tea, feel free to check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hunt.